Welcome, everybody, to episode 45 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bill Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. How you doing, Dan? Good readings and salutations. I'm doing well, Bo. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We have a super exciting guest today. It's someone uh, I've been following a bit of uh, for a while because he's a friend of a friend. And in the jiu-jitsu world, uh, we have uh, Gabriel Austin Daffron, affectionately known as Duck. <laughs> How are you doing? How are you doing, Austin? Doing well, doing well. Good. So um, I actually wanted to start off with the first question. Usually we go with age over beauty, and so Dan asks questions first. But today <laughs> I'm going to ask, where did duck come from? Uh, duck came from my nickname Daffy, which I mm-hmm. got from Daffron when I played uh, peewee football. Oh, that goes way back. Okay. Yeah. So you just sort of adopted it and turned it into uh, duck jitsu. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, here we are. Here we are. I love it. That's how, cool. Uh, it's nice how... and unique, you know? It's not like a fucking spike or something, you know? <laughs> There's only one duck I've ever heard of. So that's good. Good marketing. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> no, I, I like it. I like it. Uh, the other question I'm curious about, how old are you? 25. Okay. I thought you were a lot younger than both Dan and I, so. <laughs> How old are you guys? I'm 47, so yeah. 37. Got a couple years on you. Yeah, oh, and, you? Um, I just turned 33. Okay, not too much older. Couple no, years. not too bad. Yeah, a couple of years, but uh, unlike Sean and Dan, I, I still got a couple of, I still got some mileage left, I think, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have some mileage on me, so I don't yeah. know uh, how long I'll be competing uh professionally so that's definitely i'd be surprised if it was any longer than 10 years yeah two surgeries so oh you got two surgeries already meniscus but yeah uh oof so how does um so i've so far both dan and i are hobbyists and so uh we don't compete all that much and uh um We've act, I've actually been pretty lucky and avoided most. I haven't had really any major injuries. How does the, when you've had the two surgeries, how does that affect your day-to-day? Um, my left, right, my right meniscus cleaned up six weeks ago. So mm-hmm. uh, right now, like my mobility is still hindered. Um, you know, there's definitely more pain in the morning. My left one I got done, um, early 2019 it's uh it's doing a lot better it's definitely uh, worth it in the long run uh, my meniscus is caught like uh probably two or three times after since the surgery but the recovery time when it catches it's like i don't know a couple days where if with my full meniscus it was coming out in a couple weeks so mm-hmm. uh something was happening happening uh pretty early on into my training that i would uh I want to say ignore, but I, w- I didn't know exactly what was happening. And at the time, um, I'd go to a doctor. They didn't really know either. Um, and it was very short term where it would block out and it'd come back in. Um, so there was stints where like I had to take some time off from grappling, not serious time off, but I'd take a little bit of time off and um, let my body heal, let my meniscus like come back in a little bit. Um and then it wouldn't happen for like a year, but then when it happened, it would uh, catches once. It's more likely to catch again and catch again, like kind of like a 
fingernail clipping and just kind of like yeah. until it rips off. So uh, a lot of unfunctional um, torn meniscus in there floating around. I just have to get it cleaned up just like a, a mileage thing. So um, I had a weird calcium buildup too, just from the, the impact, I think. Um, I got that taken out. So got some stem cells. Yeah. Nice. Now, was that uh, like from a specific injury or submission or just overtraining or do you know? Uh, years, years of, uh, you know, training, training twice a day, just, you know, meniscus is that they don't last forever. Uh, by the time you're in your fifties, probably have a torn meniscus for sure. Even if you didn't do anything, like you weren't doing too many activities, you probably have, if you have a clicking in your knee, it's likely that you have like a little bit of a torn meniscus. Most people don't get surgery on it, but, uh, I had a buckle head tear, which would just completely block out my leg. Oof. Hmm. And people that do have it, like, and when I had it early on, it'd block out, they'd come back in, no problem. But then it got to the point where uh, I would have, like, a 90-degree bend angle for, like, two weeks. Ah. So, and it was just insanely painful. And it's still, occasionally, it, come, it, like, blocks out, but it'll come back in a lot faster with yeah. my uh, less meniscus. <laughs> so. Do you have any other injuries you're dealing with, or is it just those? That's a big one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you get little nicks here and there, but uh, that's probably one of the more major ones I've had to deal with. Yeah. Do you? Uh, I've I've seen a good amount of your footage, and uh, you know, our mutual friend Sean has talked a lot about uh, you. You have a proclivity towards leg locks. Do you find like? Do you think it, the issues are exacerbated just by playing legs? No. No. I've not had my leg caught one. Okay, that's not true. One time I've had it caught in a 50-50 position. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other 15 times, like, it literally caught in knee and belly. Okay. Uh, the last time it caught, I had to get surgery on it. So it's butterfly guards, uh, compressed guards, uh, yeah. externally rotated, uh, compression inwards, uh, heel towards the butt uh, is where yeah. it tends to catch. Ashigrami, single leg X catches a lot less granted if like my legs already like it's already caught once there's a possibility it catches again regardless of the position when i start externally rotating it and then compressing it in there's a chance but uh it's one time my my legs probably caught you know in the high the high 20s you know if not more probably maybe even the 30s over the years so and i can only recall a really big guy 50 50 it caught one time, but that, that was it. So. See, That's kids, good to hear, at least, yeah. <laughs> training leg locks is safer than everybody says. Yeah. I've torn people's ACLs and, and leg locks, but uh, the meniscus, I think it's just the jiu-jitsu positions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The butterfly guards, like all my guards, they're, they're shit right now. Um, I'm wrestling a lot more, guard passing a lot more. So. So give us a sense of uh, kind of your your origin story, if you will. Like what got you into jujitsu? Where did you first start training? Kind of take it from there. Um, so, Bo, were you from uh, Gracie Baja? Or was that Dan? No, so that was me. That's, uh, that was Dan, okay. yeah. Um, well, so Gracie Baja, that was, uh, that was my origin. Actually, no, that's not true. Um, I started off, so high school wrestling, I would say, is where um, I started. 
um, after high school, I need uh, sport to do. Got into jiu-jitsu. Uh, jiu-jitsu is a natural progression. But even before uh, high school ended, one of the dads trained at Ivan Salivary's, and he was saying, hey, mm-hmm. you should uh, get into mixed martial arts. So uh, he sent me, like, this flyer on Craigslist. And uh, at the time, it, like, it was dead broke. So there's no way I was paying for, like, a $150, $200 membership, um, whatever it was. Ivan's is pretty expensive. Um, just like the Baja memberships. So it was, it was a more expensive gym membership. It was basically passing out gym flyers for a free gym membership. So I would sneak into Amazon buildings and go like drop flyers, just like mass, like just put flyers in everyone's cars and get chased out of the buildings by like the security. And like Ivan would go with me. And that's kind of how I started off. I did about six months there. Um, I got a job at Dick's drive-ins probably like three months in uh, I worked the whole summer so I would say before high school ended I was wrestling at Ivan's and you know I was introduced to some jiu-jitsu guys would like Undertaker fucking slam me uh pick me up by my neck just like <laughs> barbaric shit and, like not real jiu-jitsu but I'd hop into the, the you know shirtless wrestling it's like they do weird shit. I don't know. Like, you do wrestling and they like fucking put like grease on you. I don't know. Like, I forgot what it was, but they literally oil up. Like, it was straight out of. It's like some old Roman shit or something. It was weird. It was weird. So, um, that being said, like, I was, it was still a really good start. Um, Ivan's, he's a UFC vet. There's plenty of good martial artists in that room, and I could tell. You know, the difference between the beginners and then the more advanced martial artists. Uh, Anthony Hamilton, a USC vet, told me to check out Gracie Baja uh, before I think about doing like an MMA fight. Because he's like, dude, you're going to get submitted and your striking's not that good. So, and they were thinking about like, I was like maybe a couple months into training and they were like starting to talk about getting me an MMA fight. So he's like, man, Chael Sonnen's training there. And I was like, oh, Chael Sonnen. Wow. <laughs> usc guy oh and he was like telling me all these usc fighters so i was like i gotta try this out so i ended up going to, to baja in uh soto the headquarters and i was in the summertime and i had a job so i think too with my job i couldn't train uh at nights as much so i was going to the 6 a.m classes um did the option for 6 a.m's and i was doing that and i was only training on the weekends because the fucking dick's driving schedule was rough um <laughs> And basically, I ended up going to like Washington Tech, which was right next to Cindy's gym. And yeah. I just so happened to live right next to Rodrigo. Um, so he was taking me to Bellevue in Seattle. And then I would have to bus to uh, Kirkland and I would go do the uh, go to school, then go do Cindy's classes. So it just worked out really well with uh, my school schedule and uh, training. So I definitely, uh, and then once I had financial aid and stuff like that, I'm like, I'm going to milk this for all it's worth and like train twice a day and say, I'm going to school. I eventually quit my job at Dick's. It was the worst. It's fucking terrible. They really, <laughs> this, but it, was, it was terrible. Um, and, uh, that's how I got started off. And I had like, you know, training twice a day, I ended up starting to help out with a wrestling team. So sometimes I was training three grappling sessions a day, just like, insane volume that probably shouldn't have been done in retrospect 
um, that led to, um, you know, like 70% of my lateral meniscus being gone. Um, <laughs> you know, I, when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, they don't tell you, yeah. uh, you know, the effects of the training and it's, you know, early on, like more is generally better. If you can train more, you're going to learn it faster, but the junk training over the years where it's just like not useful training that takes an effect on your body. So you got to keep that in consideration. Uh, something I'm doing more, trying to warm up a little bit more to um, different things I'm trying to implement into my training. Um, Cause I've definitely had some setbacks with injuries over the years. Yeah. What's um, you mentioned junk training. Sorry, my cat's jumping all over next to my computer. You mentioned junk training. What uh, can you differentiate between junk training and what you would consider to be proper or good training? Yeah. So if you're purple belt and you know the basic movements and you go shrimp up and down a mat for like <laughs> 10 minutes, you're better at jiu-jitsu. Uh, if you're doing it for so if you're doing it for general fitness. Like that's one thing. It's like okay, like I do my strength and conditioning. I do my general fitness stuff outside of martial arts. So if it's mm -hmm. a you're an athlete, you're coming in there and you're doing movements that are not really specific to uh, what you're doing for your jiu-jitsu, because like the way they teach you to shrimp is just it's garbage. So it's just a wasted movement. Uh, anytime you're, you're using guard retention and you're placing your feet on the mat and you're literally opening yourself up to get your guard passed. Um, so that, in my opinion, that'd be, uh, that'd be drunk training. Uh, okay. you know, if you're teaching someone how to reverse shrimp and they don't know the movement, well, then we have a different argument because there are places that like I'll use a reverse shrimp, but I know how to do the movement. So why would I just like mass rip, rep it out unless it wasn't to like, it wasn't beautiful. Like I can rep it out with a partner and I can rep it out, you know, when we're doing a little bit of sparring, we have some semi-live resistance, but if you don't have it down to a T where it doesn't look great, then I could see the argument in that. But anytime you're doing movements that aren't helping your body um, yeah. you, with recovery, with warming yourself up and feeling good, shrimping makes you feel good by all means go shrimp. Um, if you have bad knees and you got to like, duck walk on the mat like uh that could also be not uh productive for your body right i have two torn meniscuses and every time like i bend my knee down it clicks i'm not going to go duck walk for a warm-up if i need to shoot a penetration shot and actually like shoot on somewhere i'll do that and i know how to do that it's not going to help me to go duck walk and uh you know for 15 20 minutes before the the workout it's not going to help me to go do burpees um trying to get better at jiu-jitsu i'm not trying to to get in shape if i need to you know someone to get me in shape i'd go get a personal trainer because they're yep. probably you know a lot better than you know your professor or whoever you're learning under i'm not going to go there for strength and conditioning or anything like that i'm going to go there to get better at jiu-jitsu no i know very true um on that same note you mentioned uh um minor resistance what's your take on training with progressive resistance? So starting off with like, say very little and then increasing it until you're not able to actually do things and then tapering it down so you can succeed and progressively getting better and better with your movements as someone tries harder and harder. Yeah. I mean, that's the hardest thing to do. Um, mm -hmm. So you got to find good training partners. They know how to do that. Um, if you're, 
if you're competitive, that's that's what you need. I mean, to a certain yeah. extent, if you're a purple belt and you if you can do the movement correctly without resistance, well, then that's the point at which, okay, now you're going to add some reactions where yeah. a lot of times when you're being taught something, it's very specific to what your partner's doing. If your partner isn't uh, aware that it's very specific to what they're doing, they may accidentally do something else with their weight placement, with their posture, and they just don't recognize that's not where the context of where they showed the move. Yep. So when it does come to the, I mean, th there's certain aspects where like guard passing, for example, you get shown techniques and then you have to be able to implement it with semi-live resistance and gradually progress it. You're going to benefit greatly from doing that type of training. If you're doing semi-live resistance uh, in a not isolated position, like your setups are very specific. So it's a hard thing to do uh, semi-live training on a setup. Whereas this guy's giving me a very specific reactions. Maybe I could work between like two or three reactions. Mm -hmm. um, but if you do something like totally different, that's going to be tough. But if we're talking about sparring like on the back or sparring in submission positions and you definitely have to get that in um obviously if you're letting your partner uh go on your back or like arm bars or leg locks you have to have some sense of trust with your training partners in some sense of oh, yeah. um so the best training's done like once you have the move now once you have the setup like you're giving your partner the setup you're giving them the hand fight and then it's a playful kind of go like if you're not drilling like that um you know, pass like a purple belt, you know, your purple belt, that's how you should really be drilling. If you're brand new, you got to get the movements down. Um, and you also get wise to you're like, what if I do this? What if I do this? What if I just elbow you in your fucking head? Like, that's not <laughs> what we're doing. So yeah. I think you get more of that earlier on because people don't recognize this. We're doing this exact move for a particular reaction. And there's a lot of different things we could do here. Um, but for the setups, it's hard. You have to go on a limited amount of reactions. And you have to know in my head, hey, I'm giving them, I'm running away, I'm pushing forward, I'm going to the side, I'm going this way. Um, how they set it up is going to maybe depend on like what I do. But we need to limit that down. But then once, all right. They hit the move. Okay, now they're trying to get to my back. I might give them a little bit of movement. They have to readjust when they have the movement down, right? If they're hitting Kimura trap, once they get to their Kimura, I might actually try to like start, you know, moving around so they have to progressively work through their technique. I'm not trying to beat my training partner. Um, I'm just trying to give them a look. Same thing yeah, if exactly. you wrestle too. Uh, you don't just like, once you get the uh, the double leg down, you don't just fall over. You start to hip in a little bit. You start to give them a look on the, the defense. Yeah, um, yeah. And then there's a difference between semi-live training and then specific sparring where it's like, yeah, this is like, okay, we're going on the back. We're doing EBI overtime rounds. I'm trying to submit you. Uh, you're trying to submit me. I'm trying not to get submitted. Well, then that's competitive. But in the room, for the most part, you're going to be better off with uh, – semi-live training where you're progressively picking it up because there's a big yeah. gap between uh, learning a move and then being able to do it with resistance and sparring. And it's likely the first day you learn the move, you're never going to be able to do it against a fully resisting individual. 
Yeah, yeah. Over the course of the week, maybe. But over the course of a couple weeks, I guarantee you it's going to pick up. If you're training with people you're much better than, sure, I can bust out moves on, you know, people. But I'm a lot better than those people. So for the the reality is if I was training with people equal skill level to me, it'd be very difficult for me to bust out those same moves that I'm working on. And it would take much longer for me to develop that idea of uh, this technique. Um, so if you're training with people not as good as you, it's a lot easier to develop. I think your technique's a little bit quicker. But then once I'm, okay, I got to bust this out on Josh Bacalau. Fuck, it has to be, it has to be clean. It has to be, mm-hmm. yeah, fucking that, that guy. I got to, it has to be quick, <laughs> it has to be precise. Everything has to be on point. Because he gives me looks too. So he's a good training partner. Well, he'll give me a look. He'll give me a feed. And uh, in my head, I'm like, yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, when you get to the point where you're busting out on black belts and stuff like that, it's like you, you had to have, like, repped it out unless your partner's letting you do it. And the, the best training partners, they give you a look, but then they make you earn it after. They give you a look. Yeah. You have an opportunity. But then, like, once, once I give someone that look, I'm not going to let them finish me, but I'm going to try my, my damnedest to get out, but I'm going to let them get to the position. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to start uh, working my way out because that's how you get better in the room. You try new things. You don't worry about winning and losing. It's like, I'm going to give my partner these looks so they could uh, one day be a really good training uh, partner for me in these particular areas. Um, you don't learn how to, you don't learn the Ashigami game in a day, right? We have a room full of leg lockers. Now I'm, like people always go, Oh, like you're so good with leg locks. It's like, in reality, I'm hardly ever uh, playing like legs in the room. It's more so my training partners putting me in leg locks. Um, but then when I get to competition, it's like, Oh, like I'm, I get there all the yeah. time. But in the training room, it's more so my training partners putting me in these uh, leg segments. Yeah. That's been my experience at your gym. Cause I've, trained there a good amount on they used to go a lot on saturdays for the open mats okay and uh i actually like i like training legs a bit i'm really bad at them but i like it and uh, once they started to realize that i was fine to be put in leg positions it was like they they, everyone there's very good at them and it was a lot of fun to just i mean we were playing around all of a sudden someone would come up underneath and get me into a 411 i'm like oh here we are (laughs) gotta figure this out now (laughs) Yeah, when I when I initially came there, there wasn't too many leg lockers. Um, yeah, there's a couple guys that played legs, but now it's like, um, you know, pretty much all the like higher belts play leg locks. Um, so it makes it I fun. Would, I, yeah, I enjoy it. I definitely have a really good, really good defense. So, and I I have like different systems that I've developed from the defensive game. Um, they have progressed because of the level of leg lockings. Uh, come it came up in the room and then uh like these like my training partners are like because you know when you're better than someone it's like you can do a lot of stupid shit yeah and you get can away make with stupid it, yeah. shit work and then there's always that question in the back of your head you're like is austin hitting this on me because he's a lot better than me or is this a legitimate technique and then we'll get in the, the competition and you, you'll see me hit this same like garbage move on a black belt and they're like, like what 
like he he hits that on me but he just hit this on you know this this black belt here and he made it in like 10 seconds and they're like i could put up more of a fight than that so it's always good to get that uh just that affirmation from competition when like my training partners say like oh my god mm-hmm. He made that look easier than it looks on me and that was a black belt so uh, it's always always a good thing to see um especially when i'm able to hit the same things in competition so we must be yeah. doing something right in the training room if that's the case i imagine there's you know, got to be something to be said for uh you know your training partners they you end up knowing each other's games so it's particularly you know if you're working a technique that uh that someone has been working with you for a while and they know what's coming and say, Oh shit, I could have defended that a lot better. You go to competition. Somebody doesn't really know you. Maybe they don't train that fucking technique at all. So you slap it on bang, bang, boom. And they're out of there. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely the case with the Dashi Grammy game. Like my inside triangle, uh, like look at a lot of my competitions. Like, again, I would say, especially right now, like, I'll teach it, but the majority of the time I'm not in, uh, like, I'm not in leg integuments. Mm-hmm. I'm in other people's leg integuments, but I'm not playing leg integuments. And then we'll get in the, the you know, we'll get to competition and then I'll actually be playing, uh, you know, more legs. And sometimes I'll be playing like uh, a defensive game from legs. And like, people are always like, oh my God, like you're going to get got you know, they're going to get you there. You're going to, you're in trouble. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, the guy has a broken foot. So. <laughs> so question for you, when, uh, when you started training, did you have an eye on MMA or did that kind of develop after? I had an eye on MMA for sure. From the jump. Okay. Yeah. How many, uh, how many MMA fights have you had so far? Uh, so I had four between for a year. So it was like 2016. Maybe it was, it was 2015 October to I think 2016. I had like four fights. Okay. But you're not training I, MMA anymore, or? I'm actually uh, going to be setting my sights towards uh, MMA once again. Okay. So um, that's going to be for the future. We'll see how soon, but uh, that's kind of what I'm going to set my sales towards is uh, competing uh professional mixed martial arts um i think now's the time uh definitely a black belt level in jiu-jitsu it was always my goal to uh compete in uh mixed martial arts and then do jiu-jitsu for mma so Mm -hmm. i'd feel like uh imposter if i never like got out there because that was something i originally wanted to do and i thought jiu-jitsu was really cool for fighting it's really cool for not fighting too, but I, I definitely, uh, MMA would be something if like, uh, 20 years from now, uh, if I were not to do, I'd probably regret it. So. Do you have a, an idea of a specific organization you want to go towards for MMA or. I'd like to fight in one championship. That'd be my goal. Why them? Um, it's a big global brand. I like the fact, um, it, they don't really – they have weight cuts, but not to the same extreme that the UFC has weight cuts or that most organizations have weight cuts where you have to make it multiple times. So I like that factor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just think they treat the the smaller weight classes better. I think overall, um, 
what they stand for in martial arts is something I want to be a part of. Um, yeah, I mean, makes sense. They're in do Singapore. They, I don't know. <laughs> do they do uh, the hydration testing? Is that one? The hydration testing, which I think is, uh, I think all MMA fights should incorporate that. Yeah. So you I don't agree. have these extreme weight cuts. Yeah. What's your uh, walking around weight? That's I'm I'm a little I'm a little like I can get thick, so I'm not like that thick. But I like my body is is more dense naturally. So it depends if I'm like totally out of shape to like in kind of shape or if I'm mm-hmm. dieting that kind of thing. But I can walk anywhere between as low as 135 and as high as 150. Okay. Um, and you usually compete I have to try a little bit harder to, right? to get to the one fifty range though. Yeah. To really And you usually you usually compete around one thirty, one thirty five, right? Um, anywhere between twenty five and forty five. Okay. So uh I probably I would say like a good medium, probably my weight's at like one forty five to one forty three. Um mm-hmm. but there's competitions where I have to be bigger and I do my best to eat up to that that weight and then do strength and conditioning i'll take like creatine i'll try to make sure my my body's holding water so it just feels a little bit better when i'm competing against those bigger guys um and then i will compete as low as uh, 125 i actually have sub spectrum coming up at 125 mm-hmm. um so that's a nice weight cut for me um i have to diet which i'm going to start dieting next week that's what i, what I tell myself uh, <laughs> I diet for about a month. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's not pretty. It's not pretty. So, um, that definitely be my MMA weight class too. Is one one twenty five. Um, yeah. For grappling, I haven't lost a match at that weight yet. Um, so that's that's why I do it. Um, it's not fun. It sucks, but uh, I definitely it's it's an advantage being you know a lengthier athlete for that weight class so i'm oh, usually yeah. going against bigger guys guys are you know i'll compete at like you know professional events at 145 and the guys are weighing like 170 165 some of these guys so that's absurd yeah it's it's part yeah. of the game i mean when you're competing for ebi like combat jiu-jitsu guys want to come in there big uh 35 35 is a perfect weight class for me for grappling yeah. it's like i need to be a little bit disciplined but not that disciplined and it's like I, there's guys going to be bigger than me but it's not going to be that dramatic if the guy's that much bigger than me it's like he had an insane weight cut yeah you ever do uh an absolute yeah i've uh, done multiple absolutes yeah I have, um, we have a couple of big guys on our gym, but they're big hobbyists, not big competitors. And so, you know, they will be 200, 225. One of them's like 240, I think. And that sucks. I'm, I'm, a, I'm about 160 pounds and I don't like to weight cut. So I just stay at 160. But I'm curious as someone who's, you know, a decent amount smaller than me, what that is like to grapple someone who's maybe has 100 pounds on you and is cutting weight as well and is angry because they can't eat and they want to win. <laughs> so I will go out and I'll say, I've never competed in absolute in weighed 120, like weighed 125. But um, on a local level, it's always been hard to find. Like it wasn't until I got to a professional yeah. level that I got to compete at 125. And there was just no opportunity. 
Um, yeah. I would always compete at 55, 45. Yeah, yeah. Occasionally, I would do light feather, but very, very rarely. There had to have been a, a good reason to do light feather. Um, just didn't happen as often. Um, yeah. When I did the absolutes, and I like my days for absolutes have uh, I'm wiser now, so I no longer do the absolutes. <laughs> um, what was it? I think I've won like three or four of them though. Um, I won a revolution absolute. Uh, there was a live wire where there's a cash prize. I had like nine matches that day. Uh, heel hooks were legal. I just fucking heel hooked every motherfucker there. <laughs> uh, besides the guys in my weight class, I had to win the weight class. I think uh, that one, I, I mixed in some other submissions, but it's pretty much just uh, yeah. a slaughterhouse of just like leg locking people. Right? It was like 2017. People didn't know as much about the leg lock game. Um, and then I've had, I won an absolute in Switzerland. That one was really hard for me to do. Cause one, I had like four matches that day. And one of these guys had the right idea where he was just going to fight me. He was going to like try and knee me in the face and I'm trying to butt scoot against him. And he's like coming <laughs> fucking knee, and he's smacking me in the head and disengaging. And I did lose my cool for about a half a second. And uh, I ended up, I ended up getting the getting the win that day, but uh, I definitely had to keep composure, stay cool. And luckily, the biggest guy there was a brown belt, and he was trying to do jujitsu with me, so I was able I was able to beat him. He was more of a like jujitsu guy, but there was one MMA guy that was about one ninety five. You know, he wasn't too fat. He was a good athlete, and he was just trying to he was trying to fight me, and it was a really good strategy. And I definitely had to question, like, what is this worth to me? So um, at that time, you know, it was a little bit of money, dead broke, you know, it probably meant more to me than it meant to him. And I'm like, I am going to kill you. Just just wait. And uh, sure enough, uh, over the course of time, I was able to, to pull that one off. And then all of the matches were 100 times easier that day. But that was like my first round match. And it yeah. was just, it was, it was a fight. Um yeah, I think there, there might have been like one other absolute division, but um, I used to always do the revolution absolutes, not the move, but at the time I didn't know better. So I would just go out there. It's always the heavyweights. It's always the, it's always the like 220 or 200 division. It's never the small guys. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I've got, uh... I got a, uh, go ahead, Bo. I was just going to ask, what's uh, what's if you could give one piece of advice for someone who's grappling against a very large individual, what would it be? Someone that's grappling against a very large. Yeah, so just a jujitsu match, right? So you're you're in an absolute. I'm in an absolute against all the big boys. Like, what would be the one thing you found that leads to the most success for you as a smaller athlete? Pull guard. Yeah, got to do it. You got to pull guard. I don't, I don't favor pulling guard, but you're not out wrestling somebody who weighs 250 pounds. I'm sorry. <laughs> Unless okay, they, they would have to be just horrendously bad, but the guys are like six, three, six, four. And I'm like, you know, I'm a five, six, like I'm not snapping nobody down. And I, I, I can wrestle, like I can wrestle legitimately, but guys that outweigh you by a hundred pounds and have about yeah. of height on you, you're going to have to, you're going to have to get comfortable with, uh, you know, jujitsu and being the smaller guy and actually using your jujitsu. So there's no, there's no way around it. You got yeah. the guy. 
Yeah, you're not able to be a brute and just no, unless you're the bigger guy, you're not going to be able to do that. So, does that mean that you don't regularly try and uh, double leg Kyle McCutcheon? Oh <laughs> uh, no, I mean we don't do too much standing grappling <laughs> because he's so huge. I I couldn't. I, I actually would pay to see someone try and take him down. <laughs> he has. A, he definitely has a little guy game, or he has a a smaller jiu-jitsu game where he's not. Yeah. He's not. A, he's not a brute. He is more of a. Gripping game, half guard game, yeah. you know, you don't Wrist see locks. too much. We've done actually a little bit of standing grappling. I think I elbowed him on accident. I was trying to grab a lat grip. And uh, I, I got I got an elbow behind. I think he, he like fell. I was, a hit, I was trying to hit like a victor roll on all of like his 220, 30 pound frame fell <laughs> on my neck. So, but I do remember I like violently like turned my elbows to find a lat grip because he had he had uh he had the back like in standing position and i yeah. just fully got him with an elbow and uh Oof. i didn't mean i didn't you know but so you go yeah i'm sorry but he, it was like right after too i, I like that victor roll when he like saw me so he thought i was probably a little pissed i, so I was i was trying to get out of there after that so like that was yeah that was really shitty I still remember the first time I grappled with Kyle and he smothered the shit out of me and wrist locked me like 30 times. Okay. And then, and then afterwards he like slapped me on the shoulder. He's like, nice job. And I'm like, I literally just laid on the ground and like crushed me and broke my wrists <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> I was actually going with, uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but there was a guy from the same school that you train at that came to my class yesterday. Yesterday. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to ask around and see who it was. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so I've got a, yeah. a randomly specific question. So I was, I was looking up your fights, and I, I think it was the one with Matthew Anderson. Could be wrong about that. But um, there was a point where it looked like you caught a liver shot. He starts to double. The ref is coming in, and you look at the ref and basically looked like you just said no, like you weren't done yet, and you finally guillotined him. But I was curious about what – what happened with that exchange with the ref? Did you literally tell him like, no, I'm not done yet. Or do you remember? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that was Dakota Benson. Okay. And, uh, they thought that I low kicked them, but it was a liver shot. And they okay. thought like his corner was yelling low blow. And that was, it was, it was a liver kick. Okay. Uh, I think the referee said something to me. I responded and then I hit a guillotine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. It looked Matthew like you were going to finish him with that. Like he was doubling hard. I thought you had him with the liver shot. The camera angle looks real clear. It was like, yeah, you got him in the liver is a great shot. It looked like it was done right there. Yeah. I think the angle where the referee was standing wasn't as clear as that camera angle. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice work either way. Yeah. Do you still, uh, are you still, what's your training schedule like? My training schedule, um, it definitely changes depending on my injuries and what I'm getting ready for. Um, So I'll run you kind of through what I'm doing now. Um, I usually drill in the morning, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, something like that. Uh, I have a boxing lesson uh, one day a week, private lesson. and I have strength and conditioning twice a week. And then I train most nights, mostly when I'm teaching or the, the times I'm training at night. So 
that's pretty much the gist of it. Um, like when I was getting ready for combat jiu-jitsu worlds, I would do double sessions Tuesday, Thursday, and my strength and conditioning. And then I think I was doing singles Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then I had comp training on Saturday. And then I had uh, a class on Sunday. Okay. That, that was just like pretty much 100% grappling. Right now I'm doing a, uh, doing a little bit of striking, doing a little bit of grappling, uh, mixing it up. And I still do my strength and conditioning uh, twice a week. It's not a conditioning, it's just strength training, but yeah. do that twice a week. So you're essentially not taking any days off. You're seven days on. Yeah, that's that's traditionally what I've done. I might might change that in the future. I'm, I am thinking about taking it. I've I just always been over the like the belief system that like I could just train less hard that day. Um, I don't I don't need to like kill myself, but I probably could benefit from a rest day. Um, yeah. For the striking, it's more aerobic so it's harder but for the grappling i've just always been like i'll just i'll train with you know i'll train less hard that day but for the striking in particular like you can't you can't be aerobic seven days a week <laughs> so yeah i think that the resting is like it makes more sense with like striking but honestly i think uh it wouldn't kill me like uh, i went to europe and they're like you know they're they're like one day off will kill you that's what they told me. I think I, I like flip shit on them. I've, I've definitely been more cool with it. Was occasionally I'll take like a, a day off or something like that. Or I'll get it. when I got injured, I took a couple days off. Like I was still teaching, still doing that kind of thing. But you either take the day off or you're forced to take it off. Or you have an injury, you have a setback, and then you're taking taking three weeks off. You know, you're yeah. coming back. Yeah, you know, came back pretty quick from from that knee surgery, but. You know, you either take the rest day or you're forced to take it off. So that's something I'm definitely looking at um, for the future are, uh, as far as longevity. Yeah. Are all your training sessions pretty standard, like an hour, 90 minutes, or do you go for pretty long periods? So, like, yeah, like, also, like, when I tell you my schedule, there's, like, different hats I wear where there's some classes that I'm teaching and, mm-hmm. like, I have the teacher hat. And usually those, um, it's kind of like a private session pretty much where we have anywhere from like at the very most, maybe eight guys to as little as a group of two. Um, We do those two hours and I teach for the first hour. We'll do about 30 minutes of some type of sparring, whether that's situational sparring whether that's uh, actual sparrings and as much as 45 minutes. So um, that's kind of like what we do. And then we usually take five to 10 minutes to warm up, show up late, whatever. And then we take uh, 10 minutes after the session to cool down, stretch out. Um, so we take a two hour time period, but really 90 minutes of it is uh, used for grappling. And then like 15 minute cool down, 15 minute, be late to the session or actually like warm up for the session, but that's kind of on you in about mm-hmm. 90 minutes of uh, grappling. But like the first 60 is all, if I'm doing active drilling where we're doing stuff where I'm coming in, it's not a big class. I will drill with the class. If it's a bigger class where I'm teaching at kindred, I definitely won't drill. Um, so that's, that's dependent. And it also depends like how I'm feeling that day, because if I'm just feeling 
uh, terrible, I generally hop out of the the drilling and they'll hop into like the situational sparring, that kind of thing. Sure. That's a good way to get your rest. Yeah. 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 That's I'm a good schedule too. I like that you kind of pad in both ends for people to show up later, time to cool down, but a solid 90 minutes of training. That makes yeah. It's 90, it's 90 minutes. I could honestly, like if everyone showed up on time, I do like a little uh, time to like in the training session and just like, recap everything and just be like uh how'd that how'd that setup feel today how'd the training feel what'd you feel like um you're doing well what was giving you a hard time what do you think i could mm -hmm. better just like that chill out of time gonna, for the session yeah i was gonna ask if you did feedback and stuff that's good yeah um, definitely I, well i know that's you mentioned you wrestled in high school and feedback is big with wrestling and consistently going over this is why you fucked up this is why you succeeded like here's what you could do better try it again and um that's one of the things i've noticed that at least in my experience does not happen in a lot of jujitsu gyms there's not a lot of here's how you can fix this problem let's try it again let's try a little harder you know and go back and fix the problems it's tried a bunch of times without resistance and then hopefully it works tonight when in open mat the thing is when i ask this question most of the time nobody says anything He's going, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yes. it's like, just like always, it's, it's almost wasted, but they just feel uncomfortable saying anything um, or yep. they don't know what to say. They're like, oh, you're just so much better than me that I just was focusing on what I was doing wrong. Um, yeah. But even with your training partners, just giving them feedback on like, like, hey, dude, you did a really good job. You were actually able to implement that technique. Yep. You know, just that helps many, open the door. Like yeah, that. I definitely can be a dick during the training sessions, but I do my best to uh, tell people what they did well during the training session. Like, hey, you, it takes courage to go out there and actually try the move, and you uh, maybe you weren't successful, but that was that was a very valiant attempt. Versus uh, other people that just try to do what they're good at, and it's like, was it it's competition day? Why why are you just doing the same thing over and over again? Yeah. So. So you mentioned that sometimes you're you're a dick. What is it that you do that is uh, dickish? Exactly. <laughs> okay, let's be clear. I'm not a dick when I'm doing a training session. Um, so if if I show up to a training session and I'm actually doing the okay, there's two things. There's like kind of like a social one where it's like I'm being taught. It's just like. I'm being retaught something or I'm being taught something poorly. One of those two things. Mm -hmm. um, it's more of a social, like I'll just be nice. I'll be like, whatever. All right. Situational sparring comes up, sparring comes up. All right. I can work things that want to work. Um, and then we have like, I'm actually going to learn um, and I'll sh shut the fuck up. I'll do the technique and, you know, I'll do my best during the training session. I'll be focused. It's, you know, it's, I'm trying to progress my skill um and i'm not a dick and but when i'm i'm wearing a bunch of hats and i'm like watching the room and i'm also participating as an athlete hopping into some of the stuff working with people um when i see people uh like taking it more as a social session and they're doing the movement incorrectly i'll definitely say something okay i see so and again it's not for everybody like 
there's some people like, all right, they, they pay a certain amount for the session. I don't care that much. There's other people that are they're competing or they care a little bit more. Like I definitely will say something, but a lot of times those are the people I don't have to say something to. Um, yeah. And then also it's like people not paying attention. There's particular, like as a partner, you have a responsibility to give your partner a particular reaction. If you're not paying attention, uh, that'll, that'll work for a fundamentals class and that'll work for like a, a terrible jujitsu class where you can just be like, like pretty dead minded. But if you're doing technique that's based off of your partner's reaction, you, you're going to have to like be more precise about what you're doing. Right. So really you're, you're just uh fine understanding collectively. You're just calling people out for being lazy in the class. Yeah. Okay, I got it. But just not paying attention or something like that. Not paying attention, yeah, not being focused. Got it, yeah. I uh, I teach our kids' classes, and that's like the biggest thing I deal with <laughs> is is kids don't know how to pay attention, and I feel like a tyrant sometimes. So I'm like, hey, over here. Like, <laughs> your parents pay me to do this. Like, you need to pay attention. <laughs> I'm definitely, like, I've taught kids' classes once or twice, and I'm definitely more lenient towards kids. Yeah. You have to be just because they're kids, but it's... <laughs> They're also harder to deal with, I think, with that. <laughs> For sure. So do you have any uh, specific competitions like on the horizon that you're looking at or training specifically for, or are you just uh, training in general right now and seeing what comes up? Um, I have Subspectrum August 14th in Iowa. And okay. That's uh, the flyweight division. So that's going to be the last uh, grappling competition I do for a while. Okay, so are you stepping back to focus on MMA or just got other stuff going on in your life? I'm going to set my sales towards uh, competing in MMA after that. Right on. So, um, and I'm looking at possible fall, winter um, MMA, possibly an amateur tournament or a professional debut. We'll see what comes up. Nice. Who, uh, who are you training and striking with, if you can divulge that? Yeah. Um, so Christian Pre, who owns like Squared Circle Boxing, I'm doing like a solid one private lesson a week with that guy. I just got done. I was I just checked out a uh, Benavides Boxing. That was a really really good gym. Like they that's like probably the most professional training that I've seen uh, in this area for like anything. Um, the place, the other place, uh, squared circles also just like, it's just a fighter gym. Like people don't pay gym memberships. They just pay with blood and hard work. <laughs> uh, that, that one's also like, it's just like the, the head guy is just, he's training his kids. And also I'm not a flake, but I have like a schedule with jujitsu and sometimes like his schedule doesn't match up with my schedule. You know, forget to tell me things because like, all right, this is the guy that shows up two to three days a week when he can. That's what I am to that gym because that's the reality. It's like, I got to teach a class at seven o'clock. There's one time I think I pissed him off where I, I left early. He does his training sessions, two hours, like two hours of training. It's insane, insane cardio. Like it's, and then some people just like take a random day off. Like, no, bro, we're not training. It's like Tuesday. I'm like, why are you training on Tuesday? Like. So it's just like not always like super consistent, but uh, Freddie always like runs a really high level training session as well. It's just our schedules don't always uh, match up. 
So I've done some training uh, over there at Squared Circle, and then um, today I just checked out the Benavides boxing, and it was a it was a good workout, um, good training overall. So um, and then I'll hop into like the the Kinder Jiu Jitsu kickboxing classes here and there, um, do my own sessions uh, occasionally. All like during the pandemic, I was having guys uh, come over for MMA training, uh, different professionals from the area. They'd come, they'd do grappling, and then they would also uh, do MMA rounds. And that was something we're, we're getting some guys that were either Ronin's or Charlie's guys or AMC's guys, and they're, you know, getting some sparring. The hard part is uh, it's just like you get a bunch of good guys in the room. What are they going to want to do? Win. Kill. <laughs> kill each other. Right? Win. Yeah. Win and kill each other. Yeah. But it's just managing all those egos when you have a bunch of high level guys, right? So, uh, and it's like the hats thing. Like, it's a lot easier when you have somebody in the room watching it, uh, monitoring, like, all right, this is when we're going to have violent sparring. This is not when we're going to have violent sparring. Um, you know, to watching, like, all right, that guy's about to get knocked the fuck out like maybe he gets knocked out but then maybe you know he gets liver shot but then don't don't lay into him after so you gotta like monitor all that um you know if you have joe Smo has a nine to five job and he's getting murdered over there maybe go save him you know he doesn't need, he doesn't need brain damage for his uh job at microsoft the next day yeah <laughs> that's always like that's always been the big thing uh it's always like seattle there's not a lot of professional training in the area, um, especially for jujitsu. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, I got the had the pleasure of uh, working with uh, the Olympic uh, judo coach. He's like the head coach this year, uh, Justin mm-hmm. Flores. Uh, this last yeah. weekend in San Diego, and it's just like we literally got um, like I learned more in the like three days I trained with him than I did in like a month. And it was an hour session, and it, the hour session was super organized. I had a Division One uh, collegiate wrestler like as a partner every single day, um, and we're at like at the end of the session, just my mind was just me- mentally fatigued. Like my body was also fatigued, but it was mostly from the feedback of every single fucking rep. I'm thinking about three things. And yeah. I'm probably uh, doing one of those three things wrong by the end, but I got it. All right. He gave me feedback on looking away over my shoulder, keeping my chin down. I, I remember that, but then I, I forgot to not like flare my leg like a fire hydrant. All right. And now I'm not flickering my, my toe uh, in you know, inward and not like rotating it inward and then stepping and looking away and just monitoring all those things. And over the course of like, you know, an hour with a division one wrestler. It's one of those things like your mind mentally fatigues. And that's how you know it was, it was a good session. And I'm more tired because like, and then he's like, oh, even the breathing pattern and just everything that goes into it. And you're getting feedback every single time. Mm-hmm. And then, you you know, we'll tell you, hey, that was a good repetition. It looks like you, you've done like two or 300 of those. And it was only like repetition number four. And then other times it's like, oh, that, that looked, I looked awful, you know, and, uh, you know, you got to focus on each of those things and get that feedback. Um, it's just, it's hard to find like, uh, California, you can find that, um, everywhere. 
not everywhere, no. But yeah. you can find it. It's more, I would say, it's more of like a, an occupation in California. So you have a couple guys there, professional fighters, or maybe a, a couple of jiu-jitsu guys too. That uh, they do it professionally. But in watching state, you got to put all that shit together. You know, it's hard to find morning training and then night training because there's two different things. One's your clientele that's you know paying for the gym and keeping it open, and then if you want to get ready for a professional event, you're going to have to figure that out yourself. And uh, at best you can uh, get a bunch of good guys in the room and then talk to everybody, try to get feedback and try to talk to each other and say, Hey, maybe we don't need to spar every single session. Maybe we could use that time to drill things that you're trying to work on. And then maybe we could gradually progress on this and active drilling and that kind of thing. Where the yeah. tendency is you get guys in the room, you have your coach, you guys are just sparring. It's like, I don't need to spar every single day. Like, we spar every day in grappling. It's you know, There's a point where it's just not that beneficial. And you can do You're it. not learning. You're not growing. Exactly. Exactly. But you could also be practicing, like, bad habits, too. Like, yes. Uh, Good point. Yeah. Better when they spar. It's like, not if you're overwhelmed and you're unable do the technique well like you're sometimes mm -hmm. much better off sparring with like blue belts and purple belts than you are with uh, brown belts and black belts makes sense so yeah. would you ever relocate of, oh sorry Bo, go ahead no no dude, uh, go ahead have you ever thought about relocating to maybe go down to southern california or you got you, you got your roots here i have i have have done it before or have thought about it <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm All definitely right. thinking about it. Uh, gotcha. you know, it's one of the things I'd like to do it here. I'd like okay. to do it here. I got a sweet gig with uh, the head wrestling coach in Tequila. You know, I have a nice little deal with Kindred and uh, the program. You know, I have sponsors here that help me out quite a bit. I'd like to do it here. Um, you know, and I think I could travel. I could travel and I can try to bring it back here and always – always try to build up my training partners as much as I can and kind of have that same kind of mentality here. And that's why, you know, occasionally it's like, oh, Austin's not a nice guy. It's no, Austin's not a nice guy. It's just like, we could do better, mm -hmm. but I'm also, it's hard because I'm also an athlete and it's like, um, somebody else, like, I don't want to be an authoritarian. Like I, I like, if I had somebody like, I would just, I would shut my mouth and I would, uh, you know, do the training my best but um sometimes when you're like oh this could be done way better this could be done <laughs> way better yeah it's it's hard not to say like hey could we do this instead and uh there's always that fear of like looking weak where you're like oh i don't want to do sparring it's like i'm fine with doing sparring so like could we get more benefit out of doing something else and then you got to think about, all right, what is that something else we could do? And like, then it's like a train session itself, just to fucking plan this shit out. You're like, ah, oh. you know, it's hard to do it like on the fly. You can't just do it on the fly. You need to, you need collaboration. You need to get everybody's opinion. There's some guys that just don't want to do that. They're like, yeah. they did. We just like, there's one of my training partners and we just say like, he just wants pojada. He doesn't spar that hard, but the, the guy just like, doesn't drill that well. I'm going to say that like that when he's drilling like guard passes is like he's doing like 
a dead fish guard when he's the partner. It's just like, it is actually a waste of time. And I'm like, I'm better off just sparring with this guy because he doesn't spar that hard. Like, sometimes he does, but most of the time he spars where he's going like 75%, 80%. He's very chill. He's trying to do technique. And it's like, okay, with that guy, it might just be better to, uh, it might just be better to spar with that guy. Unless we're yeah. doing some stand up stuff, then there he's definitely a little bit better of a drilling partner. But when it comes to like guard passing, guard play, if we're going to like, it's just, it's not beneficial to drill with him. So he's just better doing live stuff with. And he's not like, he doesn't turn it up either. So it's just like, it's almost active drilling with him. So it's knowing your training partners too and what they want. Yeah. What do you think? Um, curious with your teaching philosophy about brand new students you talk about you know progressive resistance and sparring and you know getting a lot of good people in a room and destroying each other and what's your what's kind of your take on like walk me through what you would do if you were teaching a white belt class to brand new students like what how would you approach that okay so also like at kindred too we occasionally get uh like my class in particular it says all the levels, but it's just turned into like it's mostly the blue belts, the purple belts. Like, yeah, uh, that's not surprising. It's progressively gotten smaller. I'm always going to teach the majority of the room. So it just so happens most of the time there's more uh, colored belts than there is white belts in the room. Yeah. It's been maybe one, once or twice. But what I would say for like a fundamentals uh, curriculum, um, there's like two fundamentals that I'd go towards. One is you have someone that's brand new, like zero to six months. Um, depending on how athletic they are, they could, you know, maybe get that done in three. But I think you walk them through a general curriculum where you have like the shrimping warm up, like you have the junk training in where you're doing all those different movements. You have a set routine. You have all the things that I hate um, as a grappler now, but you need <laughs> that. You need that structure. You need that in the beginning. Yeah. You need that context of, uh, you know, an Upa escape or, you know, a hip bump. Like there's certain techniques that don't necessarily uh, work as well at a, a higher level, but you can get principles from those techniques that will uh, be the Translate. foundation of your jujitsu over time. And you need to have that context. So like zero to three months, you need those drills. You don't need to spar a lot. I think you still need some situational sparring, but you need to work on the balance, the posture, your vocabulary. So you, as a partner, when someone says, hey, go to side control, you know what side control is. Hey, let's go to mount. You know what mount is. And then you have the, uh, let's say you're six to maybe three months at the very, the very least, you're, you know, a little grappling. You can be a training partner. Then I think you're going to be better off with, uh, having a curriculum that aims more towards um, long-term versus the short-term. The short-term, we just need to get you crawling, right? You got to crawl before you can walk. But in the long-term, you're going to be much better off being taught techniques that work from white to black belt than you're going to be like learning a trap and roll escape and then going against a brown, roll, uh, brown belt, a black belt, equal size that knows how to base out. Not to say it's not impossible mm -hmm. to do that technique, on high level guys, it just doesn't happen as much. It doesn't happen as much as you know, like, you know, low percentage. It's a very low percentage. It's very low percentage. I think there's moves 
for simplicity, they're easier to teach at a fundamentals level. Um, but you're better off being taught fundamental escapes that work from uh, white to black belt than you are uh, yeah. learning stuff that's going to be very low percentage. Because then when you're a blue belt, you kind of have to go back and you have to relearn everything. It's like, I have to go relearn this because there's grappling to beat grappling and then there's grappling to beat some fucking dude that doesn't really know what he's doing. There's a self-defense yeah. curriculum that maybe you can implement earlier on that I think it maybe would be a good idea. But then there's also, are we talking about like sport grappling? Here we're talking about sport grappling. There's going to be uh, a different curriculum. And if you just want to get the ball rolling, like get the basic shoulder rolls, get the movement going, I think kind of implement the self-defense aspect for the first six months of training. And then after that, you're better off being taught moves that work uh, from your first year to your last year of training. It's going to be you know, it's a white belt all the way up to black belt. Like you want to work things that work from fundamentals to advanced level. I think you'll yeah. save a lot of time as far as going back and having to relearn stuff. Cause you're going to find there's often like purple belts that lack uh, foundational fundamentals. There's often blue belts that pretty much have to go back. That was me. I had to go back and relearn a lot of the stuff that I thought I knew. Um, so that's just my opinion on that. Uh, other people have different opinions. Um, Makes sense. It man. reminds me a lot of uh, how wrestling does their practices, like the way you're, the, the white to black idea, right? Is a, a lot of the movement, a lot of the things that are taught in wrestling, you learn day one, and then you do high level. Like everyone, ha you have to have a good front headlock and a good single and double leg to be an Olympic wrestler, and that's like what you learn day one is how to hit a double or a single yeah, you know is. you got to learn how to hit you got to learn how to escape from the bottom like and there's like the the main way you know you sit out like that's you gotta have a good sit out in wrestling you know and it's uh i've actually always found that interesting that when we teach things in jujitsu we teach like beginner moves and then we teach advanced moves versus like here are the moves that actually just work high level let's find ways to maybe teach them to the person so make them a little bit easier for someone who's new and then add more nuance as someone gets uh, more experience because you're going to find nuance in, in things as you understand more right yeah and also like some people just have like you're taught in jiu-jitsu like all right full guard full guard's the first fucking guard you're taught and there's no reason why i think full guard is any more fundamental than any other guard like i i don't know why we we start off at full guard and that's just the guard that we decided works for everybody that's one thing i do as i, I usually start off on half guard i think that's yeah. a, a lot more fundamental and you can work things that will work on uh you know advanced grapplers from a white belt level where just for whatever reason, we just we start off with the, the full guard game. Some it's like some people are butterfly guard players, and their their stocky little limbs are going to be better off in butterfly guard. Why, mm -hmm. why are we deciding full guards the guard for everybody? I got to imagine that's just a holdover from self defense days, like way way back. Yeah, you know, if you're in a street fight, particularly you know before everybody was training jujitsu, um, full guard just keeps you from getting punched in the face. So that would be my guess. Like. That's the first, you know, learn this, learn not to get punched in the face, and then we'll go from there. So. For sure. I, I've competed on combat jiu-jitsu events, and I've, like, yet 
to play. Actually, that's not true. I think for a half second, Nick Pace put me in like a modified kind of full guard and may have for a half second. I don't have to go back and watch that match, but we may have ended up in full guard for like half a second. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say for the most part, I pretty much exclusively played half guards. Um, yeah. And I pretty much, I think I've been slapped like three times in my, maybe four times in like my last, I don't know how many matches I've had, probably like five or six, five, five matches. So I've, I've very, very rarely been hit in uh, my combat jiu-jitsu matches. Um, but the way I've played the half guard is different, obviously, when you have strikes. Yeah. So what, that, uh, what do you do differently? What do I do differently? Um, yeah. Well, it's like in jiu-jitsu, the incentive is on the person to pass guard. Mm-hmm. So the mindset changes where the incentive is on the bottom player to do something. If you think about it, in a jiu-jitsu realm, usually if you're in my half guard, it's on you to pass my guard. And when you add in strikes, it's on me to make something happen from half guard. If I sit in half guard, you're going to smack me in the face or elbow me or mm-hmm. you know, do something that I don't like because you're in a pretty good position to strike. Um, yeah, yeah. One thing that I find comes up a lot more, um, and actually, like when I was learning this, I was like, "This is pretty cool." But then I got to the room, and it literally happened zero times. Like the first <laughs> time I hit it was uh, on Nick Pace, who's a UFC veteran at Combat Jiu Jitsu Worlds. It was a knee lever. Also, some people call it a John Wayne sweep, but that's yeah. to chest half guard position because of a lot more when you implement strikes. And it okay. does when you're just playing jujitsu in the room. Unless you are a heavy guard passer and you like chest-to-chest position, it just it comes up a lot less. So you need to be able to work as a guard player from chest-to-chest. And you also have to be able to come up from half guard. Like, that's not an option. I used to, like, I'm still, like, not the greatest, but I used to never come up and be like, oh, that's that's for those wrestlers, man. That's for those guys that work hard. Like, that's not an option. There's sometimes where you have to close distance. You have to uh, start coming up with your Kusoto or I think, I forgot what Cindy called it. There, there was a rudder. She called it a rudder. Mm. Your rudder or your Kusoto and start working that underhook and actually coming up. Like, there's times where you have to work up into that single like. Or the alternative is you get smacked in the face. So you have two mm-hmm. options. It's like, <laughs> I do nothing and I get smacked in the face or I come up and then they push me down and then we're happy, you know, then we're chest to chest. And then, yeah. And then I'm working from a range where I'm not getting slapped as much, but you see guys that um, are just playing jujitsu. Uh, one of the guys at my event, man, he fucking just like, I should send a photo, but his eye got closed shut. Like I, I can't even like, I, my From words open hand justice. Shit. open hand like i i have to send you guys this photo but it's michael courier um if you guys like look it up it was just so fucking insane like he looked like he just been beat into a pole jeez and it's because he just he treated it like a regular like that's oh, a regular gym yeah which is how you want to treat it but it's how you want to treat it on like being relaxed 
but also you have to know what the differences are. So I like yeah. to say, oh, it's just like a jiu-jitsu match, but there's some things that you have to play a little bit differently. Yeah. The reason I ask is because uh, I actually have started to create a six-month curriculum for my youth students, and half guard was on it as opposed to close guard. Uh, specifically kind of for the reasons that you're mentioning is, is I wanted to adapt it more to, uh, to getting hit. And, um, as I'm thinking through it, cause I'm going to bring it up in a few months. Um, I was curious, I wanted to kind of know how you would play it differently based on strikes so that I can steal it from you and then show my kids basically. <laughs> okay. And also I, I would say, so, so don't get me wrong. Like full guard is great for strikes. Um, yeah, it is a body type thing though. Um, to some extent, um, I think playing high guards like rubber guard uh, for strikes is a great option or Williams guard. Those are two great. And I think Williams guard is uh, a little bit more friendly to stockier limbed individuals, mm-hmm. but uh, high guards definitely help with uh, mitigating strikes. Williams um, going to be easier on your knees too. That's something I've run into. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Like I will play Williams guard now. I got, I got taught from, yeah. uh, pretty good Williams guard player. So I definitely implement Williams guard quite a bit now. I'll have to look at both of those. Yeah. Cause like my big thing with the kiddos is I, I don't want them to get lazy on their backs and yeah. just get stuck there. Cause that happens with kids. Cause they don't really know what to do, but they know they won't get hit in the head. So they just like hug. And then it's hard to, to like really show them the nuances of how to do stuff. And I'd rather, I spend a lot of time focusing on them getting up getting to like front headlocks, snap downs, getting takedowns, getting on top and, you know, trying to stay on top. And so it's easier, at least for me to hip heist from a half guard position and get up, get to the head, knock someone over than it is to open my legs from full guard, turn the body, try and get up, extract a leg. Like there's a lot more movement required there to get up. Um, you're committing your hips. So anytime you're wrapping your yeah. legs around someone, you're exactly, committing yeah. your legs to that person. Yeah. When you place your feet on the mat, you can attempt to get up. It's not as popular yeah. in uh, regular submission grappling or sport grappling because you're at a slight advantage, I'd say, uh, in guard, especially when it comes to the submission only game. Um, it's like you're going to have a better chance at submitting someone if it's wrapped around, you know. Yeah. But uh, if you're getting struck at, there's going to be times where you might have to place on the mat and you may have to attempt to work up. Why? Because you're getting hit. So exactly. Yeah. And no, that's, that's kind of what you're explaining is, is similar to what I was thinking about showing them just like kind of the fundamentals of that. And, and I also want them to move a lot so that they go home and they they're tired. Yeah. Parents like say, it when the kids are tired. So <laughs> yeah. not because you're getting hit, but because you have to manage the distance because the distance is really yeah. what changes. And it's like, yeah. I don't get hit that often, but I know the alternative to what I'm doing. And the alternative is to get hit. So it's it's not that you're getting hit. It's that you have to manage the distance when it comes to strikes and you're grappling. Yeah. Awesome. That's all the questions I got for you. You got any more questions, Dan? Uh, no, man, I'm good. Hey, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Maybe for sure. You're uh, you're an up and comer. I hear your name around uh, a lot, so yeah. it was nice to actually get a chance to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, at some point soon, I'd like to get a chance to train with you as well. I wasn't able to make it to any of your classes this weekend, so I'm sorry about that. Oh no worries, um, no worries. 
Yeah, what's uh, what's the schedule you, uh, for yours? I think Bo's asking the same thing. Yeah, when do you teach? Yeah. Uh, what do I teach or when do I teach? When. 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 So I teach at Kinder Jiu-Jitsu at 7 p.m. on Tuesday. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach classes that are not on the schedule. Like, it's just hard because... I have a couple of people that uh, do private lessons, that kind of thing. And then I have people that are just good training partners and we generally work with a smaller group. I would say fairly, uh, very consistently Sundays at mm-hmm. noon, that'd be one uh, you could stop by too. That's not on the schedule, but that one is almost like hundred percent of the time we're there. Unless yeah. we're out of town. That's the only time that that, that doesn't happen. But um, rest of the week, Thursday, we occasionally come in. We have a time set. Monday, we usually find a different place, uh, different mat space. Um, so it's just that, that kind of thing where it's like we might be at Kindred, we might be somewhere else. But I would say yeah. Tuesday and Sunday would probably be the, the best, day best days to cool. catch us. We can uh, put those in the show notes. Um, yeah. Are you uh, are you active on social? You got anything we want to put out there if you're on uh, oh, yeah. Instagram yes. and all that? Let's make sure and get you some love there. Okay. Um, and also, I'm uh, promoting a grappling tournament, uh, Washington Submission Series, August mm-hmm. 1st. Um, it's going to be in Wenatchee, Washington. It's a terrible idea. It's going to be It's gonna be outdoors. It's going to be crazy hot. hot. We're going to do it at <laughs> yeah. 8 a.m. in the morning, and the goal is going to be Sounds to wrap right. it up by noon. That's my goal. I'm capping it at 72 competitors. It's just no-gi grappling. And okay. it is, yeah, it's just Nogi. It's just adult divisions. Um, it's for those people that don't want to sit around and they're, they, you know, all day they do their gi. And by the time they get to Nogi, their competitors are just left because it's like literally eight hours later. It's like, yeah. like, oh, yes, I got like, you know, three people in my Nogi division. They get there and there's like one dude left. <laughs> so, uh, watching submission series. Um, check that out on Facebook, Instagram, links in the bio to register. We are almost at full capacity. I will say that. Um, I think we have like close to 60 people registered. So looking to compete. Okay. We have uh, we have good, we only have a couple of divisions. So we have four weight classes for the men and two for the women. So it's just, you're okay. going to get a lot of matches. It's going to be round robin format. It's going to be submission only. Um, the the weight classes are set so you get a lot of matches there's some divisions i may even have to split up because there's not too many white belts that are going to be able to pull off eight back-to-back rounds <laughs> there's a couple but there's going to be a lot of injuries that happen if that's the case so there's actually some divisions where i'm going to have to just straight up split it up because there's just too many people for too many matches it yeah. doesn't make sense i've done it before and i've paid the price i've uh, seen guys get injured and it's not worth it uh, it's a friendly, it's a local, it's not, it's not very formal, you know, it's just to get matches, get out there, um, you know, get some no-gi matches going. So on social media, it's uh, duck underscore jitsu. Uh, check me out on Instagram. I do a lot mm-hmm. of the, the promotion stuff through my Instagram as well as watching submission series. And also okay. this weekend, um, hosting a weekend of seminars, jiu-jitsu co-op. Uh, Hannah Sharp took third place at ADCC Trials um which is the highest placer in washington state in oregon um, she's also won multiple ibgf uh, world championships um for the adult division which you compete in masters a lot of people win masters divisions and they say world champion 
like Hannah competes in the real shit. <laughs> if she does compete in masters, she says masters. She doesn't she doesn't go say, oh yeah, I won the no, I won the so and so. No, she says exactly how it is. So mm-hmm. she was the only one to medal in his last West Coast trials and everybody in Washington and Oregon for 2019 West Coast trials in the PMW. That's crazy. So she's phenomenal jiu-jitsu instructor, uh, jiu-jitsu co-op. Uh, $40 a seminar. We have uh, five instructors. We have like a set price for like the weekend people want to attend. That's coming up pretty soon. So I don't think I'm going to get too many more signups on that. But uh, that's another thing that I'm promoting I'll be one of the instructors too. Um, other than that, uh, Austin Daffron on Facebook. Probably don't add you. I don't know you, but <laughs> you can me. So uh, the Instagram stuff like that, I stay more active with. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll link everything in the show notes too, so that people can check it out. For sure. For sure. Awesome. Sweet. Well, yeah. thank you much for coming on. We appreciate you answering the questions and uh, spending your uh, your downtime uh, talking to us old farts. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely uh, stop by, uh, Kindred. I'll probably be at the Wednesday night classes okay. at 7 o'clock. So that'd also be another good time. I won't be okay. teaching, but I'll be hopping in that. I have a grappling tournament coming up. So Kyle's class, cool. I'll, be, I'll be stopping by. If you guys wanted to come through, that'd be a good time. Um, okay yeah we can i'll try to make that work as well get yeah. my ass kicked by you that'll be fun Badass. Sure. <laughs> sweet right on, we'll man. have a good rest of the day and uh, hope to talk to you soon awesome man thank you take care see you